to get through the Pentateuch and then to continue on with the historical books and then the poetical books and then the prophetical books. I I can't wait for the day, if the Lord tarries, that we'll be able to say, man, we we studied the full counsel of God. That's what Paul said. Paul said, my hands are clean in the book of Acts chapter 20 because I did not shun to declare to you the full counsel of God. And so I'm excited about the study tonight. Uh, what we're going to see is warnings from God and warriors for God. Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the woman of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And so Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. You know, being a Christian, uh, a lot of times can be, um, I mean, you just have a lot of questions in life. You know, Lord, when do I uh, bring out the sledgehammer? Lord, when is the scalpel necessary? You know, God, you're a holy God and you hate sin. But God, one thing I've learned in my life is you're very compassionate to me. You know, the Bible says in the book of Exodus that when God revealed himself to Moses, he almost did the same thing. He says, oh, I'm the Lord. I'm so slow to anger and compassionate. I, I forgive and I forgive and I forgive. But man, I'm ready to judge. And I will by no means clear the guilty. And I've got to be honest with you, I've been studying the Bible for a long time. I've been trying my best to not just have rules and regulations, you know, because that's too easy. It's easy to be a Pharisee. I've really tried my hardest to have a relationship with God. And man, it's not easy to know what, when to bring out the sledgehammer and, and when to kind of do it with a scalpel, a little more gentler, a little bit more compassionate now. And the reason it's not easy is because it's never cut and dry. You always have to search deeper into the heart of the matter. Otherwise, you'll fall into grave danger of falling out of the will of God. It's not easy to pray. It's not easy to really seek the Lord and to be able to stand up after you've been on your face for hours and to be able to say, I have heard God's voice and he has told me what to do. You see, that's what being a Christian is, you guys. And in this case right here, we're going to see something, you know, and the Lord teaches us so many things, you know, that took place there in Moab uh, among the Midianites. That was a, a territory in Moab in which the woman of Midian seduced the men of Israel and the men of Israel fell into sexual sin. And so what did God do? Well, God killed them. 
God killed them. In one day, 23,000 men died. Overall, it was 24,000. And to be honest with you, whenever we sin, that's what we deserve. And it's not just sexual sin. It's not just R-rated movies. It's not just drugs and bad music. It's any sin. It's pride. It's gossip. It's envy. It's the respectable sins too. Anytime we sin, we see in the Old Testament what it deserves. And God here in the Old Testament, he reveals to us some things. And, and to be honest with you, they're written for our own admonition. They're written as warnings. Oh, maybe you won't die physically, but you will die in other ways. Don't think that you get away with your sin because you never do. You'll die in other ways. And that's why we have to take to heart the warnings. God sees the heart. And God knows whether or not you're really repentant. It doesn't matter who you are. It's me too. It's all of us here. I don't care who you are. If your heart is not willing to repent, God sees that. And you continue to do it and you continue to do it. And you continue to do it, and you think you're okay. And you're not. You know, I thank God for Jesus. I thank God for his compassion and his long suffering. But we got to make sure that we don't abuse God's grace. And so, what does he do? Is he writes it down. There it is in Numbers chapter 25. It's another warning for us. It's a warning. And here we see they were there in Acacia Grove. The people began to commit harlotry, it says, with the woman of Moab. Now, the reason it's called harlotry is because not only was it sexual immorality, but it was spiritual idolatry. I mean, this was a religious thing in which they would go, they'd have some good food, which was kind of an enticement as well, but then they would go and then they would sleep with the women, there would be orgies taking place. And so it was sexual immorality and it was spiritual uh, adultery because the children of Israel, weren't they married to the Lord, Jehovah God? Why would they go and then join themselves like a harlot to Baal of Peor? Why would they go into any other religious adventure? Well, that's what they did. It says in verse 2, they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. Notice what happened. It wasn't just, you know, the men were joined to the women. It wasn't just that. It was deeper than that. It was God's people were joined to this false god. That's the way the Lord saw it. And so the anger of the Lord, it says, was aroused. You know, looking at the context here, something very important for us to take into consideration is the fact that 
Balak, the king of Moab, had hired Balaam to curse the congregation. You guys remember? And he tried, you know, chapter 22 and 23 and 24, he tried to curse the congregation and he couldn't. God didn't let him. As a matter of fact, Joshua chapter 24 verse 10 tells us that all God did was bless him. Couldn't curse him. And so what ends up happening? What they end up doing is cursing themselves. And that's the way it is, you guys. You know, the devil comes in and he tries to get you and he can't touch you. He can't, man. He can't mess you up. He can't mess up your calling. He can't mess up your life. He can't mess up your relationship with the Lord. When the devil comes and tries to get you, let me tell you something, man. If you stay focused on the Lord, your relationship will be stronger and deeper. And you're going to go through all the hard times in life. And, and man, you're going to come out um, like the Lord. And that's what we need. You know what? I've got to share with you, man. When I was a kid, I was a pretty good actor. I was the star in the play. You know, I was Santa Claus. And I did it in front of thousands of people, man. And I was there at St. Christopher's. And, you know, I was Santa Claus. And there was only two people in the play, me and John the Baptist. And it was really a, a funny play, you know. And, and there's a lot of you here who are good actors as well. You're good actors. And you want to know what's happened in your life? You've used that acting to cover up the real you. And what ends up happening is rather than growing in your Christianity, you become a better actor and a better actor. And when the light is shown on your heart, we don't even know you because you're a totally different person inside. And the only reason I say that to you is because that's not what God wants. God wants to change us so that when we come in and we fellowship, that we're real. That we're really like the Lord. You see, he wants us to be like Jesus. He really does. He's not just messing around when he talks about that. He wants us to be real. And so the Lord will use whatever it is to make us real. But the thing that messes us up is that not, not you know, the enemy cursing us from the outside, but what ends up happening is that the enemy will come in to the inside. And we allow him in. We open the door. And that is right, right there is what messes us up. The, our own worst enemy is not the devil. I'm sorry to say. You may think, well, he's the worst one of all. You know, the demons and the generals and the demonic force and the devil himself. He's after me. He's the worst one, man. No, he's not. You are. We are. And so Balaam says, you know what? I can't curse them. But let me teach you what you need to do. Just take the, the, the good-looking girls and tell them to go into the congregation and then just have them invite them, you know, with their long eyelashes and all that kind of stuff and their perfume and they're dressed a certain way. And, and let me tell you something. The Bible says that the man is reduced to a crust of bread. <laughs> It says that all who were slain by her were strong men. Proverbs 6, Proverbs 7. You read that. It could be a Samson. Man with so much potential. 
It could be a Solomon, the wisest man that's ever lived. It could be a David, a heart like no other heart. It, it doesn't matter who you are. But a woman will come in and, and, and it talks about later on the schemes and the seductions that took place. And you let her in. And she ruins your life. You know, today on the news is this guy, what's his name, John Edwards. He's all crying, you know, that he lost his family, that he's separated from his wife. I mean, dude, you should have thought about that. When you're over there sleeping around, when you're over there flirting with that girl, you're playing with fire. You don't think you're going to get burned? I mean, Tiger Woods. I mean, what have these men lost? Hopefully it'll wake them up. I mean, that, but that's what goes on out there. What about in here? There are some of you here today that you're, you, you just can't control your lust. I don't understand. You're looking at pornography or you're looking at girls. What's up with that? Sometimes even girls in the church. And these are your sisters. We can't flirt at work, wherever we're at. We've got to be holy. Because I'm telling you right now, the devil goes fishing. And on that hook, that's all he does is he puts that girl there. He puts that guy there. And you're thinking, well, I can relate to them, man. They're not like my wife, you know. And they show me the type of attention that I like and... They tell me how big my biceps are, you know, and, you know, whatever it may be, some dumb thing. And, and, you, and they flatter you. They flatter you. You think you're all that great. No, you, they flatter you, man. It's just flattery. I'm sorry, but you're not all that great. And then what ends up happening is you fall and, and you're disqualified. And that's what happened right here. It was very simple. Balaam said, well, you can't curse them from the outside, but you can curse them from the inside. If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 14, Numbers 31, verse 16, it talks about how Balaam taught them to do this to the children of Israel. And one thing you've learned and one thing we've seen is the devil, his tactics are the same. He's still a liar. He still does this. Why should he change? He's very successful in his art. Balaam figured, you know what? I've got to make money somehow. I can't curse them, but I can seduce them. I can entice them with a religious invitation that just happens to include some really good food and some beautiful girls. Oh, come on. And they justify it. It's not that bad. It's just the way that we worship God. If there are any of you guys here today, and I need to tell you this, that are struggling with lust or pornography, today, today you need to deal with it. Or we're going to see later how, how severely you need to deal with that. You're, you're struggling in other ways, in other sexual sins. And you know what I'm talking about. You've got to surrender it to God. It'll destroy you. You see, in looking at this right here, I think that it's clear that the primary bait of Balaam 
with sexual perversity. And we need to be so careful, you guys. It happened to so many men that are I know better than me. And therefore, we need to take heed. We see the sin in verses 1 through 3, and then we see the sentence in verse 4 and 5. God says in verse 4, hang the offenders. God says in verse 5, kill his men. If you read this carefully, you'll find that God wants to hang the leaders of this harlotry and kill all the other men that were involved. Okay, you led this? Okay, you led this? Okay, hang them. Let everybody see what I think about this whole thing. And you lead the rebellion and God says you're going to be accountable. And so Moses in verse 5, he tells the judges to kill the men in their jurisdiction who had fallen prey to this perversion. And this is God's heart towards sin. Man, I hope you see it. I hope you see how he hates sin. God wanted them to execute the evil, right? Especially here under the law where he's hollering out his holiness. Before we can really appreciate God's grace, which we're going to see fully and completely in the New Testament, you have to get a good grip of God's holiness. And so the Old Testament, although it does have love and grace, it really emphasizes God's holiness, right? And so he says what you need to do is you need to, you need to kill him. And especially in the nation of Israel, that was a nation that had been supernaturally delivered from Egypt, They were a theocratic nation ruled by God with the rules of God, rules that said all immorality and idolatry must carry the death sentence. And so you see the sin and you see the sentence and you might be here today thinking, why, God? Why do you want them dead? I thought you were nicer than that. I know I am. Let me tell you something. You want to know why you want to know why God wanted them dead? Because they were deadly. And their cancer would spread. And before you know it, the whole nation would perish. That's why God hates sin. It's not that he's a killjoy. It's not that he doesn't want you to have fun. It's that he knows it'll destroy you. And then it will begin to destroy everybody around you. And what I wanted to do in your life and through your life, because you've tolerated sin, and you've compromised, now here you are. And you think God's going to bless you? You can pull the wool over my eyes. That's fine. You can. And, And everyone else, that's fine. But let's get this straight. You can't fool God. And you rob yourself of the blessings. You see? You know, I I was reading through the Old Testament this year, and hopefully you guys are reading your Bibles diligently. And it's, you know, the whole story of Moses and God using him to lead the people out of Egypt. And Pharaoh kept offering Moses compromises, huh? You remember that? You know, Pharaoh said, okay, all right, all right. It's getting a little rough here. I tell you what, why don't you just worship in the land? Go ahead and worship in the land. Moses said, I'm not going to worship in Egypt. 
I'm not going to worship like the world. Then he offered him another compromise. He said, I tell you what, okay, you go ahead, you go ahead. Just don't go too far. Moses said, listen, we got to go where God wants us to go. And for us as Christians, we got to go far. You've got to be radical. Don't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're a saint or you're an ain. You can't straddle the fence. The enemy says, well, worship in Egypt. No, I can't. Well, don't go too far. Yes, I must. And then the final compromise Pharaoh offered Moses, he said, okay, you go, but don't take your kids. Leave your kids here. Leave your woman. Moses said, listen, not one hoof will be left behind. I will bring my kids with me. And it's just so amazing, man, how you see he didn't compromise. Because when you compromise in your life, it then begins to infect and affect every other area of your life. And here we see the Lord, he's warning us. He says, man, you, you can't do that. That's sin and that brings death. Jesus said that God sees everything. He hears everything. Every idle word we speak. And that's why it's so important that we have that heart of holiness. God doesn't want the congregation to die. But the Lord says, here is a sentence. Hang the, the offenders. You take all the leaders, you hang them. And then you judges within your jurisdiction. I want you to kill men. And imagine that. I mean, for those of you who are soldiers that have to kill a man... You know, that, that, I know it's your duty, and you know what, you did it, and we see it in the Old Testament, but to kill somebody, think about this, to kill somebody, you're guilty, and you kill them, you kill them, you kill them. That's heavy. But see, the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. We don't know for sure how many were hung or how many exactly were executed. The Bible does tell us that there was a plague among this whole process as well and so god participated in the execution we do know that 23,000 died in one day and that a total of 24,000 died in all you see there are warnings from god and you know my job as a pastor my job as a teacher as a messenger is just to pass along the warning to you. And now it's up to you what you want to do. If you want to, you can continue to live the same life you've lived. But my hands are clean. You're now accountable. Okay? But then we move on with the warrior for God. I love this guy. As we look at verse 6, it says, And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. 
You see the warnings and you see the warrior. And I just pray that tonight we would want to be the warrior. Okay. Later on, we're going to see that uh, of those that were numbered in the first census, um, that were 20 years old and uh, older, all that were able to go to war, they all died. God killed them all. Okay? But then there was a new generation that arose. But the only ones that didn't die, it says, were Joshua and Caleb. Among those that were numbered, able to go to war 20 years old and above. And so the Lord was kind of ministering to me. He said, man, man, you, you got a choice. You could be either those who live or those who die. You can be a Joshua, a Caleb, or a Phinehas. Or you can be amongst those who perish. I mean, you look at this right here, and it's a pretty interesting story. Here comes this guy, unashamed. He doesn't blush. He doesn't even blink. It doesn't matter to him that people are dying. The congregation is there weeping at the door of the tabernacle meeting, and they're probably praying, Lord, do something. We know we've sinned. It doesn't make no difference. It doesn't make no matter. This man says, I'm going to sleep with the Midianite woman. He doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't care about Moses or anyone else who sees him. He just goes forward into his sexual activity. And so Phinehas, he sees the whole thing. He just can't believe it. And what does he do? Well, he puts two and two together. He says, hey, we've got to kill this. And so he goes, he grabs a javelin. And in the middle of the act, there they are in the tent. They're doing their thing. It doesn't matter to him. He thrust them both through, not just him. It says he went through her body as well. And as a result of that, he averted the wrath of God. We see that next. Look, it says in verse 10, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them. So that I did not consume, notice what would have happened, I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. See, which one are we going to be, you guys? I pray that we would be like Phinehas. You know, when he saw what was going on, he just totally took a stand for holiness. Now, don't go killing people, okay? <laughs> but, man, the Lord will show you what to do, you know? And again, I don't know how all this works. Like I said earlier, Lord, sometimes I don't know how, you know, whether I'm supposed to break out the sledgehammer or the, or the scalpel. Sometimes it's difficult to figure out exactly what to do. But I do know this, that I've got to hate sin. And I do know this, you know, and you could probably take this in different ways. You know, you can be here today and you can see, oh, I saw that person over there sin. And, and I saw that person over there sin. And so, you know, I'm going to go deal with them and I'm going to get them. And yeah, that does have its place. Read Matthew chapter 18. It'll tell you exactly what to do. Don't gossip. You go to them. If that doesn't work, you take a friend and go to them. 
If that then doesn't work, you bring it to the attention of the church and you go to them. That's how you deal with the sin. Because if you start gossiping, then you are worse than them. Okay? Let's make that very clear. Very clear. But here's the thing. When I look at this, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I hate sin. We need to make a stand for righteousness. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking more along the lines of myself. I'm thinking about the things that I do that I know aren't right that just need to die. There is no excuse for husbands not loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm sorry, but there's not. And don't tell me, well, I'm just a man. You know, we all sin. You know what? Husbands, die. Die for your wife. Do what's right for her, not you. Think of her first, her spiritual walk first, her desires first before you. Men have such a tendency to be selfish. And then wife, what does God ask of you to be supportive and to be submissive? I can't be as strong on the one. No, I'm just joking. All I know, man, is that there is no excuse to sin. We're going to see the whole context here. First Corinthians chapter 10. He says, you know what? All these happen and there are warnings for us. If you think that you're, you know, not vulnerable to this and you need to take heed lest you fall as well. But then he goes on to say, but with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. I think that when God looks at us as a congregation and God looks at you as a Christian, he's compassionate, yes. But he's given you everything you need to live the life. And part of the reason, I think, probably is because we're making excuses and for some reason, we just haven't stood on the truth that God lives in us. And then God can help us to be those people. And so Phinehas here, he gives me encouragement, uh, not just to deal with the sins of all the other people. Yes, that's true. We do need to make a stand. But to deal with the sins of my own life and to kill them finally once and for all, you know, to really deal with them, to have victory over them, to walk in that victorious Christian life. We got a battle on our hands, don't we? We have a battle for this world that we live in, you know. Um, I think of individuals like, you know, that, that, that have that heart to make a difference. And I, I, I say, Lord, I, I want to be one of those men. I want to, Lord. And what does the Lord say? The Lord says it all begins in your own life. But Lord, let me take out that speck in my brother's eye. It's really bothering me, Lord. And, and God says, well, you know what? You got a beam in your own eye. Why don't you deal with that? And then you can see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. All I know right here is when I read this right here, God really, 
he just motivates me. He moves me, yes, to make a stand in the church and to stand up for holiness and righteousness and do, you know, practice church discipline. Those that don't want to repent, the wolves that are in here, God help us, man, to confront them and to excommunicate them if they don't want to repent. If you're here today and you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you don't want to get right, please don't come to church. Talk to us. We've got to talk about these things. If you're here today and you're in sexual sin and you don't want to change, because a lot of times it happens, a lot of times it's on Sunday mornings, but some of you, maybe Thursday nighters, are dealing with stuff like that. You can't continue to just do that and come. We don't want that here. God doesn't want that here because it will ruin everything. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. See, that's sin. We want to be holy here. None of us here are perfect. But we need to start being proper. See? And we need to deal with it in our own life. But God will reward you for that. God says, Phinehas, oh, I just love the way that you were ruthless with the sin. I love it. I love the way that you were ruthless with the sin. Therefore, God said, I'm going to bless Phinehas and I'm going to bless the descendants of Phinehas with a covenant of peace and his descendants will have a perpetual or everlasting priesthood. And if I could just say this as a quick side note, man, when you begin to really live your life for the Lord, when you begin just, man, sold out and surrendered, completely committed, then others will benefit from that. Your children, they will benefit from your choice to walk a holy life. You see, God was blessed with the zeal of Phinehas, with his enthusiasm, with his energy, with his objective, his passion, his fervor, his devotion. You know, we need to have that zeal. It's the opposite of apathy or indifference. We really have to have that passion. We know according to 1 Kings 19.10 that Elijah was zealous. In John chapter 2, verse 17, we know that Jesus was zealous. Epaphras was zealous according to Colossians chapter 4, Verse 12, how about you, man? Would you consider yourself to be zealous for the Lord? Seriously. Or are you a cool Christian? I'm cool, man. I'm an undercover Christian, man. They kind of don't even know I'm a Christian, man, because I'm so cool. <laughs> you think God's happy with that? Let me tell you something. That's not happy with that. I mean, there should be no question this guy is a Jesus freak. He's in love with the Lord. you got to be zealous. That's what God wants. As a matter of fact, the Lord told the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, to be zealous and repent. So you don't want to be lukewarm. You want to be on fire for God. You see, I'm thinking about that verse over in the book of Hebrews. And I think this is what God is doing because I know he's doing it in my own life. But he's saying, you know what? The time is coming and it's right now because God is going to do a work in this church. And I don't know if you want to be a part of it or not, but here's what God is saying. The time is coming and I'm going to shake everything up. I'm going to shake it up. And whatever falls is going to fall. 
that whatever remains will remain. Because God is cleansing the congregation and God is purifying the church. See? And that's why it's so important, you guys, that we catch that vision. You know, that we are zealous for God. He sees and He will reward your zeal. It's so cool what the Lord is doing, man. Yesterday I had the opportunity to go over to uh, the Walter Hoving home in Pasadena. And what that is is a home for uh, girls. Maybe they got out of uh, prison or maybe they were out of prostitution. Maybe they were addicted to drugs. But it's a home where they can go and they could heal and they can get their lives right with the Lord. It's an incredible home. It's run like a, like a, it's tight, man. It's run just so organized, so well. But these girls, you know how long they're in the Word? Every day, five hours. Five hours in the Word every day. Want to know why? Because they don't watch any TV. <laughs> they're not distracted with any anything else. When they get in there, their overseer tells them, listen, you've got a relationship with God and that relationship is first. Period. No rival thrones. And so I tell you what, let's help you get established in this whole thing. God's doing a work there. And you go over there and this group of girls, man, they are on fire for the Lord. It's an amazing thing what God is doing. I see it, you guys. I see it in the different ministries. I see it in the different works over in the Cornell Center with Henry going over there on Monday nights. You know, you got these guys that are just catching the vision and inviting others. And, and it's just so beautiful. I'm excited. And we need to make sure that we understand that we are not playing church here. But there is a movement God wants to do. And God wants us to all catch that vision. You know, you move on here and the Lord gives some more details. In verse 14, it says, Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader, notice, of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was, was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. I'm not sure why the Lord tells us their names. I'm not sure why the Lord tells us that both of them were children of leaders. But maybe it's a lesson to parents. Or maybe it's a lesson to children who think they are privileged because their parents are leaders. I don't know for sure. We'll ask the Lord when we get home about that one. In verse 16 it says, And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, the sister who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. And what the Lord says is, okay, you guys, the Midianites, and it's kind of funny that God just says, listen, harass them. Uh, if you have an old King James, it says to vex them. If you have a New Living Translation, it says attack and destroy them. If you have an NIV, it says treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them. And basically, that's what the Lord says we're to do to sin. You know, don't treat sin like a cream puff, Billy Sunday said. <laughs> it's a viper. 
It's dangerous. It's fatal. Don't mess around with it. Flee that sin. Harass the Midianites, he says. Why? Because they did these schemes. The word schemes is the wiles. It speaks of the cunning craft of the enemy. It's from a root word that means deceiver. They seduced you. The NIV says deceive. The NLT says they assaulted you with deceit by tricking you. The dictionary says to charm or enchant, sometimes in a deceptive way, to trick into doing something. I, I don't know about you guys, man. Some of you here are street smart. And you're probably in pretty good shape in one sense, man. I'm a pretty naive person, and that's why I really need to pray, Lord, don't let me be tricked. Lord, let, don't let me be deceived. I believe everything everyone tells me and probably shouldn't. We need to be careful. We need to have that discernment so that the enemy doesn't deceive us. It's been said that if Satan can't get you as a roaring lion... Be ready for the seductive serpent. And that's the lesson right there in Numbers chapter 25 for us. A warning, definitely, big time for us to hate sin, to love God, to be zealous with his zeal. Now, chapter 26 is the second census of Israel. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass after the plague that the Lord spoke to Moses and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel from 20 years old and above by their father's houses, all who are able to go to war in Israel. And so Moses and Eleazar, the priest, spoke with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from the Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and above, just as the Lord commanded Moses and of the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt. Now, in verses 1 through 51 of this chapter, we have the second census of the men of Israel, 20 years old and above, who were able to go to war. And I encourage you, when you get a chance, you go home and you read all those difficult names. Okay, I'm not going to do that today. Okay? The first census took place 38 years prior to this. If you read Numbers chapter 1, verse 2, 38 years ago, they took the census. The first census told 603,550. Now we have the second census, and the total men able to go to war 20 years old and above comes out to 601,730. We see that in verse 51 of this chapter. And so over the 38 years, there's an 1,820 number decline. Now, some see that as God's judgment. Oh, they got a little smaller, you know. Um, but others see it as God's grace. Wow, he sustained them in the wilderness for 38 years. It's up to you. The bottom line is, it was both. And he goes on here and he gives us the number for Reuben and Simeon and Gad and Judah, Issachar and Zebulun. Instead of numbering Joseph, remember Joseph's two sons replaced him, and they were Manasseh and Ephraim, and then Benjamin, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. The tribe of Levi is not numbered because they didn't go to war. They served in the tabernacle. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and it kind of goes along with our theme for this evening, is God did single out some individuals. It's kind of like he's going through this whole genealogy and I encourage you, when you get a chance, read the genealogy there of Reuben. 
And he just kind of like, he takes Reuben's genealogy and then he cuts straight through the lineage. And for some reason, he wants to point out Dathan and Abiram in verse 9 through 11. Look what it says in verse 9. The sons of Eliab were Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. These are the Dathan and Abiram representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth like Pac-Man and swallowed them up together with Korah. When that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became a sign. They were a warning. And so God's just numbering all these people, this big genealogy, and all of a sudden he says, oh, and let me point out Dathan and Abiram and how they rebelled and contended against Moses and contended against the Lord and God sent them straight to Hades. And so what do you think? It's a warning, huh? God says, I want to warn you. Okay? And again, now it's up to you. What do you want to do? It says right here that the sons of Korah didn't die, and so that kind of clarifies something. That's pretty cool for us. Another individual that he kind of singles out, when you look at this kind of things, in verse 19, Er and Onan, it says the sons of Judah were Er and Onan, and Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. Now, if you remember, they, the Bible says they were wicked in God's sight. They didn't want to carry on the lineage of their brother, and so God just he just killed them. And again, there's a warning. Hey, man, make sure that we live that life of holiness and not wickedness. He also points out Zelophehad's daughters in verse 33 right here. Now, Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, had no sons, but daughters, and the names of the daughters of Zelophehad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. And, you know, I believe he's probably saying, hey, man, I, I want you ladies to know that you're precious. You're, you know, there was no sons, and so there were daughters. We're going to see more of that next chapter. He deals with that in depth. And then one last individual that he uh, singles out were Nadab and Abihu in verse 61. It says, and Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. It was strange fire. Remember that story in the book of Leviticus. And they went and they were doing the holy things of God, but they were drunk. They lacked discernment. They thought it was no big deal. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. We're just kind of doing ministry here. And I can just kind of mosey on in and just kind of, you know, and God said, listen, that's not the way the ministry operates. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground and never forget it. You see, that's what God singled out. Just things for us to remember, you guys. We're not playing church. It's not a social club. If you're involved in the ministry, man, take it seriously. We are serving the holy God. And we need to do it right. The way that he tells us to. Here in this chapter right here, he goes on and he shares the inheritance laws in the chapter regarding the tribe of Levi. And you read about uh, the parents of Moses. It says in verse 59, the name of Amram was Jochebed. Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, 
who was born to Levi in Egypt, and to Amram she bore Aaron and Moses and their sister Miriam. And to Aaron were born Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered profane fire before the Lord. Now those who were numbered of them were 23,000, every male for a month old and above, for they were not numbered among the children of Israel, because there is no inheritance given to them, that's the Levites, among the children of Israel. And he says in verse 63, These are those who were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. But among these there was not a man, I circled that in my Bible, not a man of those who were numbered by Moses and Aaron the priest when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said of them, they shall surely die in the wilderness. So there was not left a man, not a man of them, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of of none. And we got to make a choice, man. We got to make a choice. Is this Christianity thing real? Or are you a good actor? Are you getting better at acting? Remember, man, you can't fool God. And so you want it you want it to be real. You really do. You want to be a Joshua, don't you? You want to be a Caleb holy following the Lord. You want to be a Phinehas. Man, I hate sin. You don't want to be those that died in the wilderness. Real quick, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Just in case you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, that's the Old Testament, homie, and I'm in the New Testament, you know, and there's a whole grip of grace there. And so God says in verse... One of First Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the clouds and in the sea, all ate the spiritual food and all drank the spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But here it is. <laughs> but with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. You know, that's a scary concept, man. I mean, these were God's people, and they experienced some of the most amazing things that could be experienced, you know? I mean, imagine eating manna. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Manna, God's food from heaven. Imagine drinking the water from the rock. Okay, you thought Arrowhead was good. Imagine drinking that water. I mean, seeing the Red Sea divided before you and all the plagues that God used to bring them out of Egypt and all the things that took place. And you're there and you're in the middle of that whole thing and you see the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And, and you know, you're there and you're in this religious context and you're with the congregation, the children of Israel, and you hear the voice of the Lord. And, and then we read that with most of them, God was not well pleased. And I just say that Man, I hope that's not true of us. Well, let me make it personal. How about with you? 
Is God pleased with your life? Maybe positionally you're doing good. Maybe you've placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But what about practically? How long have you been a Christian now? And you're still doing that. Why? Verse 6, it says, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Listen, Paul says, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, for our warning, right? Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Yeah, but I went through all the religious stuff. And Paul says it doesn't matter. It's got to be real. God says right here, and we'll close with this, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so whatever it is that you might be struggling with, like Joseph, God says, there's a way out every time. And what you need to do is you need to find that way of escape. That's what, That's got to be your heart, man. To flee that sin and to ask God to work in your life in such a way that we would sin less. Okay, We're not going to be sinless until we're home, right? But that truly, I think for us today, God's shaking it up. He's saying, man, that you would sin less. That there would be a revival that takes place. Nothing weird. Nothing, you know, legalistic. I mean, just holy people living for a holy God because they love him. And we, we want to see God move in our lives and through our lives. That we can lay hands on people and they will receive the Holy Spirit. That we can go home and we can pray in tongues so that we can see signs and wonders and mountains being moved as we allow God to do that work because we choose to live lives of holiness. What will I be? Will I be dead or alive? Will I be a rebel or righteous? Will I be the wheat or the chaff? Am I for God or against God? Because that will determine whether he's for or against me. I just pray, you guys, that we would take these warnings to heart and that we would weed out the wickedness, not allowing any more lust to linger. And so, you know, for me, I don't know how you guys feel right now, but probably not too good. It doesn't feel good to get spanked. I know I get spanked sometimes. And, and, and it doesn't feel good sometimes when you hear a message of warning or admonition. But i got to tell you, it's because God loves you. 
It's because we love you. And it's because God, right now, he wants to clean house. Maybe you're here today and you've got nothing to clean. Okay, you go over there in that room over there, okay, and you wait for us until we're done, okay? (laughs) But for the rest of us, let's clean house. Let's give it to the Lord. You got two choices. You could save yourself or you could yield yourself to God. Let's yield ourselves to God tonight. And let's give him these things. Say, here, Lord, I give these things to you. But let's do it with fear. Why? Because I know this, that unless he fills us with the power of his Holy Spirit, we're just going to go and do it again. And so let's empty this house of ourself and all that yuck and garbage. And tonight, let's ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, heavy, heavy message for me, Lord. Heavy, heavy message for us. But I know, Lord, that it's because you love us. And so, Lord, I pray as we partake of communion tonight, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to yield ourselves to you completely. We want to empty ourselves. We want to say uh, as one voice, Lord, I hate sin. And we want to ask tonight that you would fill our hearts, flood our hearts with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because unless you take over, Lord, unless we let you take over, um, we're going to go back to our vomit. And so, Lord, we pray tonight that your spirit would be present. Lord, just like in the New Testament days, Lord, that we would be here tonight, kind of like wrestling with you like Jacob did. Lord, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go until you bless me. That's my prayer, Lord. Fill my heart. Do a new work. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.